1: What we are expecting tonight from the January 6th investigation is something that's been described as a season finale. Not a show finale, but a season finale. There may be more seasons. There may be bonus episodes. The way that
4: I've been talking about this hearing is that it's more the season finale than the series finale for the committee. The
0: season finale, as it were, of their blockbuster hearings.
4: In primetime, a season finale of sorts. Thursday's primetime finale, so to speak. Does this feel to you like... The series finale or the season finale for the January sixth committee. <laughs> That's such a good way to put it. We thought this was the season finale. Everybody's like, "Come back for more." There is hunger. There is new information. These are incendiary revel- revelations. Even the things we thought we knew, we're we're learning. It's a multi dimensional scandal, right? Shape
2: the narrative. You know, at the end of season one as you're effectively doing in a way that lets us know there may still be more to come and, and move towards mm-hmm. that in the season two, if necessary. It almost felt as if it was like the series finale. At one point, Liz Cheney said, stay tuned for mm-hmm. September, which is like season two. There will be a season two, so to speak.
5: Last night was just the season finale. We learned another season's coming.
3: TV ratings stayed strong throughout the series. It's weird to say it's a series, but it was a summer series of television. And it turned out to be one of the highest rated shows of the summer.
1: Consider tonight the finale of season one. We will be back in September with more hearings. We've seen all eight episodes through Thursday, season finale of the hearings. Was it a cliffhanger for you in any way? I don't know if we'll get stuff on the Secret Service. I don't know if we'll get stuff on the military and the National Guard. I don't know if we'll get stuff on... That could be season two. That could be season two. Oh man, Sandy Rios with you this morning. Uh, do you think all of those new network anchors and cable anchors are—they're re- just so clever. They are just so uniquely clever to come up with that phrase. It's the season finale of the J Six hearings. The season finale, the summer series, isn't it interesting? They all came up with it. Just, they just just—they—they must read the same joke books or clever books. It's just an accident, right? That they should all choose season finale, season finale, summer series, season finale, season finale. It's just a coincidence, right? Because they're all equally clever. <laughs> now, I have to tell you, this is this is just uh, coordinated propaganda. This is uh, a talking point issued to all of them of how to how to phrase it, how to couch it, how to characterize it. It isn't an accident. Do you think in your rational mind it could be an accident that something like 10 anchors should use the same verbiage? Really? And so this is a coordinated effort, all scripted, even scripted for you and me. Um, the uh, ABC, famous ABC producer who produced the whole event, remember, none of the members of the committee were reading from notes or speaking from their heart. They were reading a script prepared by that director that was hired with your tax dollars. They were po- following the teleprompter. Remember, they're not—have you ever watched hearings before? Have you ever seen committee persons, congressmen, you know, not look at their notes, not stumble a little bit, and, and, but instead read a p- teleprompter that tells them constantly what to hear? I'm telling you, I've been in television for a long time, and so uh, you have a big teleprompter, and if like when, especially when I was on Crossfire and I was hosting Crossfire, I would read the text that they gave me. I didn't have much to do about with that. Now I did get off uh, the teleprompter when we were doing, you know introducing guests, but introducing segments and all of that. I'm reading what someone else is writing, and that's what they are doing. all carefully scripted. <clears throat> all of the witness testimony was it was not unfiltered. It was as though you were sitting in a trial, well, I could say a murder trial. And some witness who says you were guilty, uh, has this story that they tell about what they saw and how it uh, how it happened and the weapon and all of that? And because the people producing the video of this trial want you to be guilty, that's the only thing presented. Any defenders of you are edited out. Or if in the course of their testimony they said something that might be slightly doubtful or confusing, they be sure they are sure to enter that. It's all carefully scripted. It's really a travesty. And because we are so accustomed now to fantasy, reality shows, um, you know, summer series, it's so hard, I think, for Americans to tell what's real and what isn't real. What happened with the J- J6 committee is not real. It's not real. It's scripted. It's, it's complete and utter propaganda. It is what the Nazis under Hitler were perfected. It was these um it was these uh, they made movies to show how disabled persons are useless eaters. Uh, they did uh, videos to show how Jews are swine and should be disposed of, and they carefully laid it out and they showed the videos and they you know they crafted this narrative, this is what we're watching, this is what we're watching. And, yeah, they're going to have more. I'm sure they're going to have more because I'll tell you why I'm sure they're going to have more because Adam Schiff and Liz Cheney were both on television on Sunday uh, talking about how the next thing is uh, they need to subpoena Jenny Thomas, the wife of uh, sitting Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Uh, Yeah, they want want her to come. They'd like to have her volunteer to come. But, you know, they really would like for her to—they're going to subpoena her. And if she doesn't, well, you know— well, we don't, We just don't know. You know, We hope that you'll do it voluntarily. That's what they both said uh, with this veiled threats toward Jenny Thomas. But one thing they made clear, and if you don't believe that I'm telling the truth, I'll just read from Jonathan Turley because Jonathan Turley and I are not on the same page. Jonathan, Jonathan, for the most part, is a Democrat, but he's very fair-minded, I think. I don't think he's always right, but I think he's fair-minded. I think he speaks the truth as he understands it. He says that, according to Schiff on that Sunday program with CBS Face the Nation, clearly states that the interest of the committee is to use Jenny Thomas, Clarence Thomas' spouse, to explore a prior opinion in an election-related case. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get to Justice Clarence Thomas through his wife Jenny, who is a strong Trump supporter. Uh, Who was at the rally on January sixth for a short time and then left? Did not go to the Capitol, but that's a that's a crime according to them. That's reason enough for her to go. She, uh, texted you know Mark Meadows about the election and the fraud. And so that's enough that, you know, she, she's guilty. I mean, you know, she's guilty. And, of course, because she's married to Clarence Thomas, she has polluted his mind. Because, of course, Clarence Thomas never had an independent thought at all as a black man until he married a white woman who's been in politics. And he, gets his, he takes his cues from Jenny Thomas. How, is that racist? Trust me, that is just so repulsively racist and ridiculous. And because, honestly, I know them both well, it makes it more ridiculous Jenny Thomas has been a political activist in D.C. for decades. Uh, Before she ever met Clarence Thomas, she was an activist. Her parents were activists in Nebraska. She was growing up. Uh, She is an all-affiliated with Eagle Forum. Uh, Jenny has opinions, strong opinions. She had them before she met Clarence Thomas. And oh, by the way, if you know anything about the life of Clarence Thomas, you will notice that he had a few opinions before he met Jenny Thomas. Uh, it's uh, it's just uh, amazing. In fact, I want to read to you a couple of things that Clarence Thomas has recently said. Uh, these are in very super appearances in the last uh, few months, after that leak in the Supreme Court where someone re- re- leaked that um, the the memo, the the proposed draft of overturning Roe v.ersus Wade that had not been voted on or decided by the justices at the time. Uh, he said this: "I do think what happened at the court is tremendously bad." I wonder how long we're going to have these institutions at the rate we're undermining them. I wonder how long we're going to have these institutions. And then I wonder, when they're gone or destabilized, what we're going to have as a country. Now, I'm skipping around, and I'm pulling remarks from different appearances. Last week, Thomas said Americans are becoming addicted to wanting particular outcomes, not living with the outcomes we don't like. It bodes ill for free society— We can't be an institution that can be bullied into giving you just the outcomes you want. The events from earlier this week are a symptom of that. He said on Friday that until the leak occurred, it was unthinkable that such a thing would take place. He says, the institution that I'm a part of, if someone said that one line of one opinion would be leaked by anyone, you would say, oh, that's impossible. No one would ever do that. There's such a belief in the rule of law, belief in the court, belief in what we're doing, that that was verboten. And look where we are, where now that trust or that belief is gone forever. And when you lose that trust, especially in the institution that I'm in, in it changes the institution fundamentally. You begin to look over your shoulder. It's like kind of an infidelity that you can explain, that you can explain it, but you can't undo it. Anybody who would, for example, have an attitude to leak documents— that general attitude is your future on the bench. And you need to be concerned about that. And we never had that before. We actually trusted. We might have been a dysfunctional family, but we were a family. He went on to say the concept of stare decisis, and that's all about precedent. Remember, they argued that Roe versus Wade could not be overturned because it was a settled law. That's what they call it, stereo decisis. He says when someone uses stare decisis, that means they're out of arguments, they're just waving the white flag. He later on discussed those who do not have the nerve, without being more particular, he said, like they know what is right, and they're scared to death of doing it. And then they come up with all of these excuses for not doing it. I wonder who he had in mind. He goes on to say, people assume that I've had difficulties when I've been around members of my race. It's just the opposite. The only people with whom I've had difficulties are white, Liberal elites who consider themselves the anointed and us the benighted. I have never had issues with members of my race. I'm wondering if he's thinking about, you know, Joe Biden when Joe was the head of the Judiciary Committee, when Justice Thomas went before him uh, through the vetting process before he became a Supreme Court Justice, the smug, uh, rude inferences from Joe Biden and others on that committee, Ted Kennedy, uh, um, Pat, Patrick Leahy, I could go on and on. I mean, all right, so that's the man that they want to destroy. And now the J6 committee wants to subpoena Jenny Thomas, the wife of a Supreme Court justice. And you have to understand that in Washington, D.C., uh, it, it is a small town. You know, I've lived in Chicago. I lived in Los Angeles, uh, where I Berlin, Germany. There are a lot of large, large cities. Berlin's probably more like D.C., actually. Uh, D.C. is big compared to a small town that you and I may have grown up in. But DC's not a big city, not like New York, not like Chicago. It's just not like that. It's small. And so certainly in conservative circles, uh, it's, it's small, well, it's small for a- leftist activists too. Uh, and so they're related. You know, judges have wives who are, you know, working in uh, other, other areas. And so do congressmen. And so do media personnel. Uh, congressmen are married to media personnel on the left or on the right. It's, uh, they, they all have jobs. They're all working. So if you're going to talk about conflicts of, of interest, you know, there would have to be a big wholesale housecleaning uh Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a good example of that. Nancy Pelosi right now is a good example of that with her husband doing insider trading, one of the which he got, they made $5 million, she and her husband, on something that they were about to vote on in, in the House, which she's in charge of calling up for a vote. Uh, there are all kinds of conflicts that are real. Uh, but when you're talking about someone who is involved politically because they have a long history, it's consistent, they have very strong beliefs, they've never hidden them, they've been activists, and they happen then to marry a justice who also has strong beliefs, and a long history of his own views. Uh, what you, how are you, you going to do that? Is one spouse is it like sexist, can I ask you, that a spouse then has to shut up and can't be involved, can't have an opinion? I'd say in this climate, I believe it is. And so, um, so, yeah, there's going to be a, a part, second part to the J6 hearings. There's no question about it. I wanted to talk about something else, and I've talked my way to the break. Uh, I've talked. My when I come back, I, I do want to talk about J6. I've got um, so many things to tell you about that, new information, more insight, if I could. Um, there's another thing I want to talk about briefly, though, when I come back. It's monkeypox, because monkey pox, that's the latest, you know. Beware. I guess we're gonna maybe we'll wear masks that make us look like monkeys with this round, you know, round big mouth and the round you know, wouldn't that be that that would be suiting if we end up having to wear masks for monkey pox. The only problem is monkeypox doesn't really affect hardly any of us except for gay men who have lots of sex. It is just that blunt and that real. And I'll talk to you about that when we come back. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
4: This is Bible League International. Thank God your pastor wasn't attacked on Sunday, but it happened to Pastor Nepo recently while preaching in Burundi, Africa. Twenty radicals dragged him down the aisle to the front lawn where they beat him nearly to death because he's been faithfully sharing the gospel with Muslims and nearly 200 have come to Christ in his village where Christians are attacked daily.
2: Anyone who comes to Jesus as the Lord and Savior are easily persecuted.
4: In coastal India, Jayanth planted a church in a village with no Christians and today more than half of that village follows Christ but it did not come easy. His house was burned down twice, his wife was assaulted and many in the church have been threatened with death but they're not praying for an end to their suffering they're praying for Bibles to endure and persevere. We're halfway to our goal to send God's word to 16,000 bible persecuted believers and we need to wrap up in a week. So at $5 a Bible, $100 sins 20, we'll you call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or give at SendBiblesNow.org, SendBiblesNow.org, and God bless you for caring.
1: This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders.
5: Today we pray for Roberto Rodriguez, Assistant Secretary of Planning, Evaluation, and Policy Development at the U.S. Department of Education. He advises the Secretary of Education on all matters of development, implementation, and review. Proverbs 19.20 reminds us of the importance of wise counsel. Listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end, you will be counted among the wise. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Roberto Rodriguez in his work for education in our country. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country, and we're joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org.
2: Hello Americans, I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Former NFL player Ray McElroy exchanged the gridiron for God. He's a well known evangelical leader and speaker. The other day, the junior ROTC hosted a lunchtime event featuring McElroy at Richards High School in Oaklawn, Illinois. Students were invited to hear his testimony and enjoy a free Chick fil A sandwich, definitely an upgrade from the mystery meat they serve in the lunchroom. But the Freedom From Religion Foundation took offense. They say school leaders broke the law by letting Pastor McElroy talk to students. The Wisconsin-based atheist accused Christians of attempting to lure kids to the talk with a delicious chicken sandwich. It makes no difference that it was a voluntary event. The atheists say it's against the law. The school district investigated and promised to never mix fried chicken sandwiches in the Almighty again. It seems Christians and Chick-fil-A sandwiches give atheists a raging case of indigestion. Who knew? I'm Todd Stearns. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family
1: Radio.
5: Very clear at this point uh, that the community most affected is the LGBTQ community. Um, this is one of the reasons why I said we've been deeply engaged with them, um, both to share information, also to learn more, make sure that that everybody's communicating in a way that's both scientifically accurate uh, and respectful. Um, you know, obviously... Uh, Uh, It's really important that we do not use this moment to uh, propagate homophobic or transphobic uh, messaging, and and I think it's really important that we stick to the science, stick to the evidence, and do it in a way that's respectable of people.
1: Yeah, that's important. Uh, We have to tell everyone what he's saying, is that monkeypox can be transmitted by everyone. It's a danger for all of us. It's going to be, you know, urgent. We're going to have to, you know, it's a global alarm. That's what they're shouting everywhere. Uh, no, no. Yes, of course we know it mostly affects the homosexual, bisexual community. But we can't be homophobic or transphobic. We're all in this together. So if uh, we have to shut down or wear masks and all of that, everyone has to do it. I just want to be clear about that because we cannot be transphobic or homophobic. Which of course reminds me a great deal of the way uh, the, uh, the the knee jerk reaction to AIDS in the '80s. It was called the gay men's disease because it was the gay men's disease. And then suddenly, political correctness kicked in, and you could not say that. And everyone, of course, uh, was uh, in danger of getting AIDS. Now, it's true that some women did get it from their uh, gay AIDS-infected husbands who had sex with other men. That's true. Listen, if you have kids, I apologize. I, I forget about this uh, for the next just five minutes. I'm going to talk about monkeypox, and it's a little bit, yeah, a little bit raw for kids. So then I'll be back to J6. All right, so um, so monkeypox. There's an interesting article this morning. Let's see. Is this uh, what's the outlet? It's covered up here. Sorry, I can't. I cannot read this because it's covered up. But I can read the article. It's about um, a public health expert. He's actually the director of George Soros Open Society Foundation. It's, it's in the Guardian. That's the original uh, source of it. Told the Guardian how he had. Okay, here's the things that kids don't need to hear. He had sex with several men during the New York City Pride festivities, and then he got upset because um, he got really, you know, he had sex with several men, and then he ended up with this terrible outbreak of uh, sores and pox. I can't even read it all because it's really gross, actually. Pain. It sounds horrible. I, lesions. Over 50, 103 degrees. Intense pain and all of this stuff. It was a very serious thing, but then he's very upset that there's not proper testing, that he wasn't warned. It's not his fault, you see. Uh, It's the fault of the government for not protecting him. His name is uh, Sebastian Cohn, and he is one of the directors of George Soros Open Society Foundation. Uh, So, um, yeah, so it's a gay man's disease. I want to to drive the point a little bit even more. In the Washington Post, the Washington Post, did you hear me? The Washington Post, Uh, those... uh, News outlets based in D.C. and New York are, especially the New York Times, their editorial board for years has been uh, dominated by homosexual men. The Post, I don't know if it's dominated, but I'm sure they have a great presence there. This is written by Benjamin Ryan, and from reading his article, I suspect he is gay. Um, and his, the title is, Gay Men Deserve the Unfarnished Truth About Monkeypox. And this is what he writes. Anyone, this is in quotes, anyone can get monkeypox, end quote. And then he says, "'Countless public health experts have uttered statements such as this in the past two months. Members of the media and politicians have parroted the messages ad nauseum without stopping to dissect what it implies or obscures. This broad-strokes maxim that everyone on Earth is susceptible to this troubling viral infection might be factual on its surface, but it is so egregiously misleading it amounts to misinformation.'" Those who make such statements don't intend harm, oh, and then he goes on to, de- to defend them, uh, said the uncomfortable truth is that sexual behaviors and networks specific to gay and bisexual men have long made them more likely to acquire various sexually transmitted infections compared with heterosexual people. They include HIV, syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia, hepatitis B, and sexually transmitted hep- hepatitis C. I just have to say in general you may not know because they have just talked about hiding information. This has been happening for a long time. I just have to say, this is an issue that I know probably more than the average American. When I was president of Concerned Women for America, we had a whole department uh, that was all over this issue. I had some of the nation's leading experts on it, uh, on the diseases, the behavior of the homosexual population. We tried, uh, we were on the forefront of the battle to stop gay marriage. And so um, uh, in the gay community, this is one thing I. There is such horrible disease, such abuse of gay men toward each other, They beatings, they're hospitalized. It is a violent life. The way they do sex is violent, but you're not allowed to talk about it. It's not the same as heterosexual marriage and heterosexual sex. It is not the same. Uh, without going further, because I don't want to go any further, it's just too, um, too graphic for radio, too graphic for your ears. It just is a petri dish for terrible disease and so the gay community and your friends and your brothers and your uncles the men in your life that you love and you know they have your sons now so many sons what they're into is dangerous on every level it takes their life it destroys their lives it's not just another choice it's not just another lifestyle it is a deadly lifestyle that brings death and depression, and often suicide. Yeah, so um, that's something I've talked about a lot in the past, but not in a long long time. I remember one time a girl from Greenwich Village, a young filmmaker. Well, she wasn't all that young, but she was seasoned. Uh, She came to see me in D.C. She'd seen me on television, and she wanted to interview me about uh, some of these things I'm talking to you about. So uh, we did the interview, and then we sat and talked, and this is what she told me. She said, I have lived in Greenwich Village for years. I have been, uh, I wanted to defend the gay community. I hated to see how they were treated. My heart went out to them and I wanted to help. But after a decade of living there, what I'm seeing has opened my eyes. I'm seeing this horrendous abuse of gay men, beatings, all kinds of horrendous treatment. I'm seeing disease. And so many of my friends are dying. And she said, I'm just, I'm just, it's breaking my heart, and I now I can't—basically, I, she's saying to me, I can no longer be a cheerleader for this. I can't do it because it doesn't comport with what I've, what I've actually seen. And so that's just a little editorial remark, some information for you this morning, but I want you to understand that gay, monkeypox is a gay man's disease. It is especially spread by multiple sex partners, and uh, it is a horrific disease. And so it is a horrific thing that it's going around, no question about it but it is not at risk for you if you are a heterosexual female or male a- in a partnership with someone and you're faithful to them. <clears throat> so, so this Washington Post article, we should save this because I'm sure, you know, it won't be long. It won't be available on YouTube or anything else because we can't talk about this. Well, the, what did the uh, guy who heads up President Trump's, um, President Trump, President Biden's, what's his name? Hang on a second. It is, uh, his name is not here. It's kind of obscure, but anyway, he's the one who just said we don't want to be homophobic or transphobic in our messaging. That is more important than protecting gay men from this horrible disease. Not that you can protect them. The best protection is that they follow God's law and uh, change their lifestyle. They can do it. Many have, uh, and decide to be to be either celibate or to be partnered. At least give give it a shot, try to learn to undo a lot of men have done a lot of gay men have done this uh they have gone through counseling and therapy, which now they're all outlawing to sort this out in their minds and have a normal god-given sexual life fulfilling with a wife uh, that brings children and family. Okay, so uh, that's enough about monkeypox, but uh, we should put this article on our uh, getter page, Gay Men Deserve the Unvarnished Truth About Monkeypox by Benjamin Ryan. We'll put it on there. Okay, now I want to get to J6. I've been, oh, the guy's name was Ashish J. Okay, Ashish J. That's the COVID expert for President Biden. All right, I want to change the subject because J6, J6, J6. Um, You Ray, remember that we are, one of the things that the J6 hearing is fighting is that there is a big lie. There is a big lie about some stolen election. D- Donald Trump was lying. He lied about it the whole time. Uh, he incited his followers to go in and, um, you know, do uh, cause an insurrection at the Capitol. So I'll just give you a little taste of the kinds of things that were said at the J6 hearing that so many people were watching and actually believe is true. This is clip eight. I
2: was struck by the fact that he chose to begin the video by... Pushing the lie that there
4: was a stolen election—it
0: was unpatriotic. It was un-American. We were watching the Capitol building get defaced over a lie.
2: As you can see, President Trump stuck with his big lie that the election was
1: stolen. You know what's interesting to me is that I, I told you about that uh, Gallup uh, Gallup uh, the other poll. I can't think, but the poll I told you, Rasmussen. Uh, that they found that uh, of Americans, like one of the highest things on their list about uh, in voting, one of their biggest concerns is election integrity. Uh, somehow, the American people have gotten the message that there was a problem, but people in D.C. didn't get that message. Your your congressman, your senator, can't dare talk about that, except that they're brave, like Senator Johnson or Senator Grassley or some of the other uh, uh, congressmen that we know and love. Uh, just a handful of them, but the rest of them, oh, it's stolen. No, no, and all the anchors on Fox, and except for Tucker and maybe even Laura, they have to say they can't say it was stolen. They have to say it was a big lie. You hear Brett Baier talking like that. Also, I don't know if he's used the term big lie, but he knows better. Uh, but it an—it's it's actually arbit- its important. It's a, its a comp- its imperative that if you live in D.C. and you want any kind of a future, you have to say that any thought of election fraud is a big lie. But I want to tell you, I saw uh, on um, Greg Kelly on uh, Newsmax, oh, how I wish we could, uh, Adam, if we can, let's post the link to that, that uh, show that he did on Friday night because I, it is well worth your time to watch uh, all the different people that he found clips of talking about various things. And one of them was Bill Barr, the attorney general. This is Bill Barr right before the 2020 election, you won't recognize what he says. You'll say, who is that? Really? That's Attorney General Bill Barr who said it was a bunch of BS that there was an election fraud, that the election was stolen? That's what he said later when he came to a census and became the swamp creature that he was before he came into the White House, Trump's White House. This is what he said in an interview on, I believe, on, um, on CNN, uh, clip nine. So
5: far, we haven't seen widespread Fraud. But so far, we haven't tried it. Well, the point is that a lot of us, uh, there are several states that only have mail in voting, including a Republican. Well, this this is playing with
2: fire. This is playing with fire. We're a very closely divided country here. And if people have to have confidence in the results of the election and the legitimacy of the government and people trying to change the rules to this to this methodology, which, as a matter of logic, is very open to fraud and coercion. Is reckless and dangerous, and the people are playing with fire.
1: No, you know what, Attorney General Barr, you're wrong. You are just wrong. Any notion that that election that you know the people changed the rules, uh, that they uh, mismanaged the ballot boxes, any suggestion of that, sir, is BS. You said so yourself six months later in the testimony before the J six committee, or a year later, you said so yourself. It's just BS. You you mean what do you mean playing with fire? Which Bill Barr, you know, are you? I'm just curious. I think that's very interesting and very, very telling. All right, remember that one of the things that they're trying to do, uh, the main thing they're trying to do, is disqualify Donald Trump from running for president. That's why they keep using the word insurrection, because they want to invoke Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, uh, which says that if a presidential candidate, uh, no one can be president if they've tried to uh, incite an insurrection. That came about in the Civil War. It was a, it was a, um, uh, an amendment that came out of the Civil War. So engaging in insurrection is the phrase that's used in that Section 3. And that's what they want President Trump to be charged with so that he cannot run because they're scared to death that, oh my goodness, he might actually win. And you know what? He might actually win because 75 million Americans actually believe still that there was really some chicanery in the election on January, uh, on November, um, the the 2020 election. All right, so um, let's see, just a few other things about what actually happened. On the last night, they, uh, well, they were, the Hill says it this way, the J6 committee hopes to go out for now with a bang, or for now, because it was the season finale. No, it was a summer series. It was a season finale, but wait for another series. But for that season, they were going to go out with a bang, and they called Matthew Pottinger, who served on Trump's National Security Council, and Sarah Matthews, who was a deputy press secretary. Both of them resigned on the day of the insurrection. Both of them said that they just were appalled at what was happening. You know, obviously, they look, they may sincerely believe what they believe. I find people in D.C., either, you know, like they want to put their head in the sand And then now, and they do actually still believe uh, the the narrative that was issued right after the January 6th, uh, uh, the horrible events of January the 6th, or they don't want to be wrong, kind of like COVID. Now that we know that the vaccine doesn't work, they don't ever want to admit it. And I think that's where we are. Um, But they, he called them, they called them and, um, One of the main points that was said uh, that we're going to make here is that President Trump had the power to call off the mob. He was the sole person who could call off the mob, and he chose not to do it. And as a matter of fact, they played outtakes. Uh, By that, that's when the camera's rolling when um, when you're getting ready to go on television or do something on video. The camera starts rolling before they actually pull what you're going to say. And so sometimes you'll say something like, get me a Kleenex, I need my glasses, uh, they'll make a remark. So they played outtakes from President Trump's speech before the Capitol right. I watched it. And, but they say, and it, I, I did not see what they're talking about. They said the outtakes show that he, uh, uh, he, he had difficulty with the taping. He was refusing to say that the election results had been settled uh, and uh, attempted to refer to the rioters as patriots. Uh, So, this was the bad thing, they say, that he did on the speech that he made uh, after the Capitol riot. Uh, It's interesting to me that they complained that he did nothing, but remember, then they also said that he tried, they claimed, he tried to take the steering wheel of his vehicle so he could get to the Capitol. That proved not to be true, but that's what they claimed. So he did want to do something, if that's true, but then now that he goes to the the White House and sits and watches it, he did nothing. You can't have it both ways. I'll be right back, Sandy Rios, in the morning.
5: A baby's cry. It's the sound of God's gift of life that began at conception. The church needs to speak out on the sanctity of life, but believe it or not, there are those in the church who disagree. Dr. Michael Brown says the early church was always clear abortion is sinful. His article, What the Early Church Said About Abortion, will stir us to unite on that fact, but it also reminds us of God's mercy and forgiveness. You can read this article at afa.net slash the stand. God can use persecution to strengthen the church and individuals within it. Persecution is granted to us. Don't miss this. What an honor to be chosen to follow in the footsteps of Christ, to die like the thief beside him, so that men enslaved to sin can see the gospel written in our flesh and believe. Gain more perspective on persecution with Jordan Shambly's article, The Victorious Persecuted Church, in the Fall 21 issue of Engage Magazine or visit engagemagazine.net.
0: Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. As Paul was incarcerated, facing imminent execution by Nero, he told Timothy perilous times were coming. Evil men and seducers would wax worse and worse. But he instructed Timothy to continue in what he knew to be true. Then he emphatically stated, preach the word. As darkness mounts and wickedness increases, you and I must continue to cling to God's Holy Word and yield to the Lordship of Holy Spirit in our personal lives. And we must absolutely continue to preach the Word. We have our orders. Let's magnify the King. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. 80% 80% of the time, an abortion-minded mother who views an ultrasound or sonogram of her baby will choose life. Here's the story of Candace.
3: The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love.
0: There are currently pre-born centers which do not have an ultrasound machine. Would you sponsor a machine today? dial pound 250 and say keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Your love could save a life.
3: This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Every American has a stake in the answer to this question. Should infants as young as six months old be injected with the COVID vaccines the Food and Drug Administration has recently approved? After all, even if you're not the parent of a child now eligible to receive vaccines authorized by the FDA without adequate testing, you and the rest of our society will wind up bearing the costs of inflicting on our kids potentially profoundly debilitating illnesses and the associated human and financial costs. Such real risks are to be incurred in order to protect them against the statistically negligible likelihood of contracting this disease, let alone suffering seriously from it. Given these stakes, you have a need to know the facts. Join our webinar at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time today entitled, COVID Jabs They're Coming for Your Babies, at presentdangerchina.org. This is Frank Efron.
0: Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. All
1: right, I want to pick up on where I left because uh, they're accusing President Trump of doing nothing. I want to just give you an example. I wish I had the, pulled the audio for this, but Joe Biden, in a speech yesterday, pre-recorded speech, He said that President Trump lacked the courage to stop rioters who stormed the U.S. Capitol on January the 6th. He said the police were heroes that day. By the way, could I interject? Some of the police were heroes that day, but lots of the police were not heroes that day. But back to Biden, he said Donald Trump lacked the courage to act. Um, He says uh, he accused Trump of sitting in the comfort of the private dining room next to the Oval Office as his supporters and others breached Congress, resulting in the fatal shooting of an Air Force veteran. I'm not sure he said that. That's not in quotes, and I I doubt he did say that, actually. I'll have to check that out. Anyway, because they always say five policemen were killed. That's the mantra that President Biden has always used. He also said that law enforcement officers and Capitol Police endured medieval hell for three hours. Lives were lost, and for three hours, the defeated former President of the United States watched it all happen as he sat in the comfort of the private dining room next to the Oval Office. You saw what happened. The Capitol Police, the D.C. Metropolitan Police, other law enforcement agencies were attacked and assaulted before our very eyes. The officers were speared, sprayed, stomped on, brutalized, and dripping in blood, surrounded by carnage, face-to-face with a crazed mob that believed the lies of the defeated President. So um, that's the narrative that President Biden is giving. And, of course, that's the narrative that a lot of people believe. It just kind of turns my stomach because I know too much about it and because I know so many of the J6 prisoners now. I've had the, the fortune of meeting some of their families. And um, it just uh, the, the lies and the way that they are treating the people that were there on that day based on what he said here, that the pol- you know police all good. Uh, Trump supporters, horrible, you know, causing all this bloodletting, attacking police. And it's just, it's an abject lie. It was a very convoluted day. Uh, We think that there were some very bad actors there, uh, maybe from the FBI, maybe Antifa, other law enforcement agencies. We have very good reason to believe that. We also know now a lot of other things. Uh, One of the things on uh, Trump being not being absent on that day by the way the new york post weighs in trump's silence on january 6 is damning let me just say that you have to know the new york post is so good on so many things i really like that newspaper but remember that they're owned by fox and so their their um their commentary will reflect like if you ever listen to fox news you might as well listen to cnn Uh, i'm talking about fox news radio sorry uh, the the news reports on Fox News radio it's just just like cnn it's it's just or ABC or CBS. it's terrible, and that's those same people who are writing this for the editorial bo- board of the post. So when it comes to what comes from them, you can't trust it uh, but um this is the thing uh, on the idea of President Trump you know grabbing the wheel in the limo, that just proved to be absolutely ridiculous, and the secret service agents who were there on that day in that limo said that the Cassidy Hutchinson, who was an aide to Mark Meadows, who testified that that's what that she was she heard that she was told that she wasn't there either. The Secret Service agents that were right there said that was just not true. And besides, if you've ever seen that limo, there's no way President Trump could you know get forward into the front seat and grab the the steering wheel. It's not physically possible. But certainly, I bet it's true that he demanded that they take him to the Capitol. No doubt. He had just told the crowd he was going. I always wondered why he didn't, because, and I'm sure he could have still gone, but they advised him not to, and that was good advice. That was good advice. Just imagine if he had gone, what might have happened to him. And so so what was he to do? So he goes to the White House, and he sits in the dining room off his Oval Office and watches television while he has his lunch. And from that, that's where he makes this video, uh, whatever time it took, the video that went on Twitter. Uh, that told him to please stand down, go home now, go home now, you know, uh, we don't want you to get hurt. I forgot exactly what he did say, but there was nothing wrong with that. And so, uh, Britt Hume, as a matter of fact, God God bless Britt Hume, because he's weighing in on this too. He says, this is the sort of information that the J6 committee's Republicans would have insisted to be part of the hearings if they were trying to be fair, but they are not. And here it is from Just the News. Trump gave an order to make sure that the January 6th rally was a safe event a Pentagon memo shows General Milley's recollection undercuts Democrat efforts to suggest the president wanted to incite violence. And I, you've probably seen this, but if you haven't, I should I should take the time to tell you uh, that I'll just uh, uh, Cash Patel, who was uh, a high-ranking member of the National Security Team at the White House, the, the Trump White House. Uh, I will read this, I don't know what the outlet is, this is a lift from another, um, this is from just the news, okay. But the most compelling piece of evidence that Trump wanted to thwart rather than incite violence is contained in a lengthy memo written by the Pentagon Inspector General that chronicled the assistance the Defense Department offered Congress both ahead of and during the riot. In it, the Inspector General recounts a fateful meeting on January 3rd. In the White House, with then-acting Defense Secretary Christopher Miller and General Mark Milley, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, as they met with Trump on national security matters, the complete passage, hardly mentioned by Democrats at the hearings or the news media covering them, is worth absorbing in its entirety. And this is what it says, the exact passage. Mr. Miller, again, that's the Defense Secretary, and General Milley met with President at the the White House at 5.30 p.m., The primary topic they discussed was unrelated to the scheduled rally. General Milley told us that at the end of the meeting, the president told Mr. Miller, the defense secretary, that there would be a large number of protesters on January the 6th, and Mr. Miller should ensure sufficient National Guard or soldiers would be there to make sure it was a safe event. General Milley told us that Mr. Miller responded, we've got a plan and we've got it covered. Oh, yes, they did it Cover I had it covered all right. Defense Secretary Christopher Miller testified before the J6 Committee. So did Mark Milley. Uh, They both stabbed President Trump in the back in their own way. Uh, But it is not true that he was trying to incite a riot or make it unsafe. So that's just a lie, and it it can be verified if anybody cared to listen or wanted to hear that. Now, um, I wanted to give you some other information. I'm skipping around here. The leaders of the Proud Boys organization are now facing some new charges, terrible charges— Enrique Tarrio, Ethan Nordin, Joseph Biggs, Biggs Zachary Real, and Dominic Pizzola are accused of conspiring to use force to oppose the lawful transfer of presidential power by preventing, hindering, or delaying by force the execution of the laws governing the transfer of power, according to an indictment filed Monday. They were previously indicted on charges of conspiracy and pleaded not guilty, but this adds sedition which is much more dangerous and much has much more serious uh, consequences. But now let me go to this, okay? That's the Proud Boys. Here's the story that you've not heard. I'm sure you've not heard this, unless you're following this or you're a J6 family. The FBI confidential human source, uh, there was an FBI confidential human source that infiltrated the Kansas City Proud Boys group for over a year and a half, before the January 6th event, and kept the FBI goons informed—goons, obviously this is from somebody on my side—goons informed of the group's activity. It was revealed that the FBI informant is a person named James Aaron Knowles. Knowles, the FBI plant, explained to his superiors that the Proud Boys did not really know what they were getting themselves into. There was no planning or conspiracy to enter the Capitol, and the Proud Boys— assisted law enforcement within the Capitol. All right, so uh, this, and then you have to know that the president, I just told you, reading from this uh, report of the inspector general, absolutely called for National Guard. It, was, it happened on other occasions too before January 6th, but this one is documented by the inspector general. Uh, he called for help. Cash Patel testifies to that. But Nancy Pelosi, Capitol police, uh, the chief of the Capitol Police, uh, the mayor of D.C., they all refused it. They all refused it. You may remember that Mike Waller was my guest, I believe, the day after January 6th. Mike is a good friend. He is a, a, a national security expert. Uh, he's an ex- expert in uh, leftist activity and communist movements around the globe. Uh, he and his, um, I don't know who he we went with, but he went there that day. And this is before all of this stuff came out. This is before we really knew much. And Mike observed that there was so little peace, police presence. He, 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 he couldn't understand that. Why, why was the Capitol so unprotected on that day? Why were there so few people there when they knew in advance that there was going to be a huge crowd? He said a lot of other things, but that's one of the things he observed. I want to talk to you about Ashley Babbitt. Uh, oh, I gotta I've got to see. I've got so many other things. Let's see. Got to make a choice here. I I do want to tell you this. In fact, I'll stop for a second to tell you this. There's a brand new video uh, that, well, it's been out a few days, but it's called The Real Story of January 6th. It's produced by the Epoch Times. If you have not uh, subscribed to the Epoch Times, E-P-O-C-H, please do. I'm telling you, this is a great source of information. It's operated, uh, for the most part, by Chinese dissidents. Uh, I, I find them refreshing. I find what they say comports to what I know from other people to be real. Uh, and they have produced a documentary called The Real Story of January the 6th. In fact, let's stop for a second and listen to the trailer, clip one.
3: That was a shooting gallery up there. I could hear the tremble in his voice. She suffered a fairly severe beating. The, the video is is pretty graphic.
4: Justice for us. Seems almost impossible.
3: It's not fun to watch somebody die, and they knew she was in mortal the peril.
4: They have not asked the hard questions. Why was the Capitol intentionally unsecure that day?
0: The FBI had information about security concerns before January 6th.
1: They're out for blood, and they're getting it. They appear to be winning.
3: Were the actions of the Capitol Police out of line? Were there
2: violations in use of force?
3: Now I describe it as an inside job. I'm
2: ready to do whatever God calls me.
1: All right, it's called the Real Story of January 6th. We'll put a link on our Facebook, or Facebook <laughs> habit, on our Getter page. It'll show up on Facebook too. We're trying to get, uh, trying to expand so we can cover all the social media outlets, um, but we're not there yet. So Getter. Uh, It's the real story of January 6th on the Epoch Times. So please, I'm just telling you, this is a great tool for you to watch and also pass on to others who've been watching the J6 hearings because somebody has to tell them the truth. Someone has to give the pushback, verified and documented. Um, Julie Kelly is on that. Uh, Jerry Perna, whose nephew Matthew committed suicide and has been a guest with us, is on that. Aaron Babbitt, the the husband of Ashley Babbitt. Kash Patel, uh, Victoria White, I think, was beaten in that altercation, and I've never heard her speak, so that I'm looking actually forward to hearing what she has to say. Okay, see if I can give you some very quick other updates. Ashley Babbitt, according to, um, remember that the guy that shot her, Michael Byrd, Capitol Police Lieutenant Michael Byrd, refused to give a statement, never cooperated with the investigation, and yet they declared that he was not guilty. But we know now, because we have a picture, someone sent this to me, there's a picture of him. In the chamber before he ever shot um, Ashley Babbitt with his gun, he had his finger on his on the trigger, pointing his gun, and actually his his gun was pointed right to a Congressman. I see Kaisersey with a a troy nails of Texas that doesn't mean he was trying to shoot Troy nails. The point is that he you don't carry your gun that carelessly, you don't carry a live gun carelessly pointed, you have a down position. You hold it down. I may be using the wrong terms, but I know enough about guns that you don't walk around in a crowded place or especially in the cha- cha- um, chamber of the Congress with your gun pointed just randomly at anyone, somebody with your finger on the trigger. That's what this guy was, a bird. And uh, we know that he had uh, was a, had been brought up on charges of mishandling his gun in the past. And so the uh, the assessment of experts that are really fair-minded about this is that that was Ashley Babbitt was what, five, five, four, something like that. Very short, very little, not, not armed, could not hear through the glass and he was wearing a mask. He claims he warned her, but the three policemen standing near Ashley all said they did not hear any warnings. Uh, So people are concluding that this was actually, it was murder. It was murder by Lieutenant uh, Colonel Bird. That's what not Lieutenant Colonel by the Capitol policeman, Lieutenant Police Lieutenant Michael Byrd. Luke Coffey, uh, who, uh, who was one of the J6 defendants, has just been charged with impeding the work of Lila Morris. Who was Lila Morris? She was the Capitol policeman who was beating the lifeless body of Roseanne Boylan. Now, she's doing fine, Lila Morris, By Luke Coffey is uh, being charged with impeding her work. Um, there's another prisoner that has committed suicide. It's a third one, not prisoner, but he's somebody, one of the J6ers. He wasn't even incarcerated. He was only in. He didn't do anything. He walked inside the Capitol for just a few seconds and went back and took some pictures. And now he has killed himself. Uh, I'll get his name and bring that to your attention when we have more time. Uh, thank you for listening today. The truth is so important, isn't it?
0: The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.